Well, good morning, all. Hope you all had a wonderful Thanksgiving. Uh, we did, and trust you all did as well. Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to Philippians chapter 2. Um, uh, next week, just real briefly, next week we have a, uh, I've been in this series, will be a four-part series on joy. Uh, we're going to take a break next week. Uh, we're going to have uh, the president of Lifeway, which is the, Repub- the publishing arm of the Southern Baptist. Um, my daughter Kelly introduced me to this young man. He's about 45. His name is Ben Mandrell, and he's the president. And uh, I ended up going down and meeting him a few weeks ago at Richmond. Uh, he's one of these guys. He went out and planted a church a few years ago with eight people, and it grew to, you know, 2,000 in a week and a half, one of those guys. And he's pastored some large churches, but he felt that God's call in his life was more to be involved in the publishing world where he could get the gospel out more. So anyway, he's going to be our guest speaker next week. I don't even know what he's going to speak on, but it will be good. He is really an excellent Bible teacher, and you'll thoroughly enjoy him. We are in Philippians. We're going to take a total of four weeks to look at this book that deals with the subject matter of joy. And if you're watching online, perhaps you're not necessarily a follower of Christ, I want you to see what the Bible says as to what Christians are supposed to experience in this world where there's a lot of confusion and mess and joy in the middle of it. We found there's a difference between joy and fun. Fun is something that you experience for a very short period of time. You watch a ball game, you had fun, but you leave the stadium. You, you go to Disney World, but you leave the park, and sometimes it's a letdown afterwards. So fun is for a while, then there's often a letdown until next year when you can have that same fun again. Joy, on the other hand, as I've described it, is that inner spiritual confidence that God's grace is sufficient to see me through my earthly pilgrimage, all the problems and the difficulties that we face in life. So joy is eternal. It, it starts now. You can have it all the way through, okay, all the way through to the end. It's not the same thing as happiness and jumping up and down, and, but it is an inner confidence that in this mess we're in, that God's grace will be sufficient to see me through this world. When you read Scripture you sometimes come across things that are seemingly impossible to follow, impossible to carry out. So we're going to start, we're going to look at the first four verses of Philippians, and I'll point out some of those, and then we'll go back and we'll look at you know, all the way down to, to verse 11 and see how Paul calls out and cries out for joy and where he really finds it. We mentioned last week it's certainly in Christ, but there, he just even, he even takes a step further. He says this, starting in verse 1 of chapter 2 of Philippians. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Let's pray. Father, we need a a fresh wind of your spirit upon this text because it's very rich, it is very deep, it is very profound, and I pray that you would open our eyes that we behold wondrous things out of your law Well, thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We must remember something, as I uh, said last week. 
Paul is not writing about having joy while he's on the beaches of Hawaii. He is in a prison, most likely a Roman prison. Uh, no Netflix, nothing to entertain yourself, probably in a little cell. We know that he's been chained to people. Difficult time. So Paul writes a letter to those that are on the outside. He writes this letter to the church at Philippi, to the Philippians. And he wants to encourage them to find great joy in the midst of their struggles, in the midst of life. Now when you get the letter, see we're not just getting the letter. We've had the letter for 2,000 years. It's nicely bound in our little leather Bible and we've got a table of contents and have our devotions and we read it. But I want you to step into the story. I want you to step in to Philippi. I want you to step into a house church where all of a sudden this letter comes and people are gathered around going, wait a minute, this whole thing is about being joyful and Paul is in prison and he's giving us advice on being joyful? Wow, I thought we were supposed to write him and be an encouragement to him. What does he know that we don't know. What are we missing here? And that's why this letter is written. And it is a profound letter. This section right here, from 1 to 11, is pretty much the crux of everything. It, everything sort of is sort of the hub of the, of the whole text. But here's what is fascinating. What I find fascinating is that in this portion here, he tells us things like, you know, do nothing out of vainglory, be humble, think of others more highly than you think of yourself. And even as I kept pouring over the text, I, I said to myself, you know, there are so many times in Scripture where God tells me to do something, He might as well tell me, you know, to be a linebacker in the NFL. You know, I could probably do it, but I'd get hurt, I expect. No, I would not be able to do that. He might as well tell me to go up and touch the roof here. Let me give you an example. Pray without ceasing. Meditate day and night. Be perfect because your heavenly Father is perfect. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Uh, just because your biopsy came back, uh, you were waiting for a few days for it to come back, I don't, don't worry about what it reads. Just sleep at night. How do you do that? How do you do that? Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot, Paul, for telling us all these things that are absolutely impossible to do. And it's all throughout Scripture. Never does, does God say, you know, try your best. Let's see if you can get close to where I am. Be perfect as I am perfect. Don't ever worry. Do all things not murmuring and complaining. I complained 50 times on the way here this morning. And it, it's just, well, 47 times actually. Uh, you know, and you look at these things and you say, what, what? come on. I'm human. I can't do this. You'll notice God doesn't give you five easy steps on how to get your prayer life answered. Five ways to do this. You will find over and over and over and over again, whenever you are given a list of things to do or something you're supposed to do, just look around, just look around and see how far the gospel is away from those statements. It's over here, it's a little bit over here, or it's a few verses before, a few after, but it's there. It's there. 
There is something about the person of Christ that we're supposed to be anchored in, not our abilities, not our attempted, uh, uh, gut it out and, and we'll get this thing done. I'll be able to get my prayer life more in order. I can be holier if I, if I do these five steps. Or maybe I can get a Christian self-help book. You know, It just doesn't work. I'm not saying there aren't some great books written by Christians, but they will always be around the power of the person of Christ. So consider what is being said. Consider who it's being said to. These are people that lived a couple of thousand years ago. This wasn't just getting up and having my family devotions. This letter comes at some particular time, and the people gather, and they're thinking, wow, this is from the Apostle Paul. And somebody reads it. Many people probably couldn't read. Somebody reads it. And maybe in that little house church, they're, they're saying, what, what do you think he means by this? What is he telling us here? See, we don't do that that much anymore. More. We're reading through the Bible, perhaps, and getting, just going through the, the Scriptures. But have you ever taken the time to step into that world and ask those questions? What did this letter mean the first time they got it, they didn't, have lot, they didn't have all the Bible, many of them couldn't read. What did this mean? How would they have seen this? How would they have interpreted this? So, one of the things that's noticeable here is Paul talks about, I want my joy to be complete by having all of you like-minded. Many times when Paul is writing a letter to a particular group of people at a house church or a gathering, or Galatia, Galatians is written to a number of churches in a particular area. <clears throat> when he writes, there is usually some kind of a correction in there. For example, when he writes Galatians, it's a polemic. He is angry. He's angry that the gospel is being compromised. When he writes Colossians, he is, he's, he's a little, you know, he wants to make sure you understand the deity of Christ. When he writes here in, in, to the Philippians, he's saying, you know, it would... It would bring a lot of joy to my heart if you were like-minded. Hmm, is somebody not like-minded? Well, look at chapter 4, verse 2. I plead with you, Odia, and I plead with Syntyche to agree with each other in the Lord. Yes, and as I ask you, loyal yoke fellow, people that are working together, help these women who have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement, the rest of my fellow workers. Here he's, he's talking about people that are working with him. Solid people. But there's something going on. And it might be in a fairly small gathering. Probably smaller than any one of these sections here. All right? And, and maybe people are taking up sides. Uh, you know, we wouldn't do that with something like COVID. But in those early days when people were, you know, confused and not very mature, they would argue over things. We would never do that today. Yeah. That's why this is written. All right? So... He's, he's, he's saying, I, it'll, it'll make my joy complete. And nobody's ever going to have complete joy, but he says, this is bothering me. There's something going on, and I would like you to have uh, unity. I'd like you to be like-minded in whatever the issue is. And he doesn't mention the issue. You could put almost anything in here. You could put in Democrats, Republicans, politics, COVID. You could put in a lot of different things. So this is a very practical section on what we do in the middle of family conflict, church conflict, state conflict, local government conflict, all types of things. And Jesus is, becomes very central in here. 
So let's just take a look and see uh, how this comes up because Paul also says in Corinth, he says, there's always going to be divisions. There's always going to be fighting. And he says, but there need to be people that will help solve that, all right? Unity uh, is found in humility. Uh, separation and divisiveness is found in pride. Just keep that in mind. Here's something I wrote myself. Pride taxes our limited abilities. We dip into our pride and we try things. While humility draws from God's unlimited grace. Humble yourself to be exalted. Uh, God resists the proud, gives grace to the humble. Uh, only by pride comes contention. So whenever you see contention anywhere, there's pride somewhere, probably on both sides, but, but it's someplace in the mix. It's someplace in the mix. So we see this over and over again. All issues of life must be bathed in humility. So let's just, let's just for, the, for the sake of it, take a look here at, at, at the text as it starts out. He says this, verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, he starts right off with the subject matter of being united with Christ. All of life's issues can cause divisiveness. Every single issue of life must be bathed in humility. We need never go into a discussion of what we think is going to be an argument without first saying, am I willing to be teachable in this particular situation? Politics, COVID, whatever it happens to be. I sent out, uh, Jason Van Dorsen and I did a, an eight-minute video last week, and after it was done, I thought to myself, and I looked at it, I reviewed it, and Jason did a great job of editing, and I thought to myself, you know what? When people send me eight-minute videos, I usually don't watch them. I'll watch a two-minute video, and it better be good right at the very beginning. Now, this was unbelievable. I mean, this was Tom Hanks all the way, but it was eight minutes, so you didn't want to watch it. So let me give you the summary of what I said, knowing that we have gotten emails from all sides regarding this. And by the way, every single person that has talked to the leadership of this church has been very kind and very humble. This is not a rebuke to anybody. But here's the point. Here was what I, what I said. I basically said this, that there are two views, whether it's on a government level, state level, home level, family level, church level, whatever it is, Things are too restrictive, they're not restrictive enough, all right? And I pointed that out, and I said, let's not be dogmatic where there ain't no dog. You know what I mean by that? The only dog in this is COVID-19. We don't know whether it's a shaggy-haired poodle or a great name. We know very little about this virus, very, very little. But we tend to be dogmatic, and that's what causes a lot of the problems, and so I suggested this, using terminology that doesn't upset people that see things differently than you do. For example, saying, you know, well, I think you're living in fear, and God has called us not to live in fear. Well, that can make a person feel like they don't have a whole lot of faith. It can kind of shame them. They can turn around and say, well, I think you're living irresponsibly. Oh, you think I'm going to pass it on and kill somebody? Use different terminology, all right? Rather than fear, I see you're concerned about this virus. I'm not as concerned. Oh, why? Well, let's talk about it. Oh, you have that set of data. I've got this set of data and so on. If there is a humility, it'll work itself out. Listen, I know there are so many different views. I've seen people riding in cars, maybe it's some of you, by themselves wearing a mask. And I'm thinking, 
Do you think you have it and you're afraid you're going to give it to yourself? I mean, what, I, what's, what, what is going on here? I don't, I don't understand that. Man, I ripped that baby off as soon as I possibly can. Or maybe they forgot. All right. But there's just so many different ways people are looking at this. So we look at the, the scripture. Uh, unity is the fruit of corporate humility. And I've said it over and over again. So let's take a look here. Um, it starts out this way. And this is what it starts at. So here... You're reading this for the first time. This isn't just getting through family devotions or getting through reading through the scriptures in a year. You're reading this for the first time. Or maybe you're sitting in a living room and some teacher, elder, somebody is in, and they read it. Got a letter from Paul. You're reading through it. They get to this. If you, and that can mean since, so like if you're going to the store or since you're going to the store, since you have encouragement from being united with Christ and people pause and they go, hmm, I have encouragement by being united with Christ. What does united with Christ mean? It means I have the mind of Christ. It doesn't mean I know all that Christ knows, but it means I'm capable of thinking how he thinks. It means I'm capable of having his humility. It means I'm capable of relating to him. It means I'm capable of spending eternity with him. It means I have eternal life. It means lots of things, lots and lots of things. So if you're in a house church, you might spend an entire day going through this. You might spend a couple of weeks pouring over this. If there is any encouragement from being united with Christ. This, and he goes on, then he says this, if any comfort from his love, all right? What love? Well, they're all going to pause. They know about the love. They, they know that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. They know that that uh, we've, we uh, love him because he first loved us. They're, they're, they're gathering, they're getting some information from here and there, but they know some of this. As basic as it might be, this is, this is a huge thing that's being imported into their lives at this time when there's some kind of division going on, something going on. Sintiki uh, wants to wear a mask and Yodia doesn't want to. Something's going on here. Whatever, you can plug almost anything in, and Paul doesn't usually plug those things in because it just covers uh, a large gamut of many different things. Then he goes on, he says, this comfort and love. If any fellowship with the Spirit. Boy, I would pause on that one. Fellowship with the Spirit? What does that look like? I'm sure the people were sitting around saying, what? well, we know that we have the Spirit indwells us if he indwells us and Christ died for us and God is sovereign and yet they're all, you know, fully God, uh, what is the Spirit indwelling us? Does the Spirit indwell us? Does he, give us? does he give us wisdom? You know, Paul prays that you might have the Spirit of wisdom, that you might have a depth of knowledge. And so obviously it's the Spirit of God that illuminates the mind to understand the deep things of God that the world can't understand. And as even, as, even as I look at the people that are, that are home, there's a passage that says, the natural man, the unsaved, the man that's outside of Christ, cannot understand the things of the Spirit of God because they're foolishness to them. They must be spiritually understood. So Paul is saying, you that here at Philippi, you have the ability to gain wisdom through the Spirit of God. You have the ability to have the Spirit of God bring you into unity. You have the ability for the Spirit of God to to enlighten your mind and to give you deep insights. They might have sat there all day talking about that. I don't know. But we have to step into their story. We have to step into, into what is going on at this particular time. And then it says, 
If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded. Do you have this mind, this mind of Christ, tenderness and compassion? Do we have this? And he's, and, but he's still, you might say, well, I'm just not that compassionate. I'm not that tender. I, I can't do these things. You're right. This is why he goes back and says, this is in Christ. You can't do these things. You have to be, it's, it's not you uh, doing something, it's you identifying with someone. And this is whole identity issue is, is starting out with the very first verse here is this idea of being united with Christ. Then he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, like all of this, like we find in Christ. Make my joy complete by being like-minded. The world is never going to be fully like-minded. We know that. No matter what any president, whether it's this new president or whoever, no matter what, anytime you hear any politician or anybody tell you they are going to bring everybody together, you know right away that ain't going to happen. You can hardly get two people to get along. You've heard me say, sometimes you don't even get along with yourself. You're just not your type. These things happen all the time. And so to get all these people together is just not the truth, all right? Now, you can do things. You can put some Band-Aids here and there and help out, but it doesn't overall bring everybody together. Why? Because people don't have the mind of Christ, and even those that do don't employ it as often as we should, all right? This is the beauty of looking at Scripture and seeing what it has to say about these. Now, let's take a look. Verse 3, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Sorry, Paul. My whole life is wrapped up in self. That's who I am. And you're telling me not to do that? Or vain conceit, but that's who I am, Paul. I'm, I'm, my DNA is proud. It's who I, I am. I know I'm right about all these issues. But in humility, or in contrast to that, consider others better than yourselves. Oh, you mean I'm supposed to dialogue with people that think differently than I do? Yeah, that's right. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Paul, just not wired that way. Here we go again. Another bunch of things that I can't do. But I'm going to try. I'm going to buck up and, you know, flex some muscle. I'm going to do this thing. No, it doesn't start that way. Since you have encouragement from being united with Christ, that's where it starts. It's your identity in Christ in realizing you can't do these things. So now he's going to go on and show you why humility is so important. Because God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble. And we're going to find out later what that does. But let's take a look at this particular text. He says this, starting in verse 5. This is... Enormous. Theologians have wrestled with this for years. It's so profound. Verse 5. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. My attitude is to be the same as that of Jesus Christ. That's why it says we have the mind of Christ. I'm never going to be omniscient. I'm never going to know all that Christ knows, but I can think the way he thinks. Why? Because if my identity is Him and He indwells me and I have the illumination of the Holy Spirit, this is possible, all right? Your attitude should be the same of Jesus Christ. Verse 6, 
who being in very nature God, Jesus Christ is God? Yeah, all right, we believe that. Do not consider equality with God, do not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Here is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, the amazing Trinity, divinity of Christ, a mystery that we'll never grasp, truly God, truly man. But he didn't consider it something to be grasped after. And now he's going to go in to a, a, a section here that lets us know what that means. To let us know that if I were to humble myself before you, if I were to submit to you, to listen to you, that would be a big thing for me and it would be a big thing for you. But this is Jesus going into a far deeper submission. This is a submission and a willingness to be obedient to his father, submit to his father, humble himself before his father, and die. So this is an infinite humility. This is why this is so mind-boggling. This is infinite humility. He goes on and he says this. This was not something to be grasped after. But made himself nothing. Some translations might say, he emptied himself. Taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Takes on human flesh, becomes a servant, not just a helper, he becomes a servant. Helper may want to get something back, a servant just serves freely, like the good Samaritan. He empties himself. What does he empty himself of? If he empties himself of his divine nature or his deity, he's no longer God. And we know that's not what he emptied himself of. He is emptying himself up of his rights to his deity. I can call 10,000 angels and have them come and take me off the cross. Yeah, it says to Pilate, you know, you know if it weren't for, the, for, for God, you would have no power at all. I, I, can, I can flick my fingers, do anything I want, but I'm not going to. I'm not going to. He is going to empty himself of the right to this. This is teaching us that there are times we need to empty ourselves of our rights to be right. To enter into dialogue, not thinking that we know everything about everything. Because we don't. We don't. This world is a blur. And this disease is a blur. We're living in a dark hole as far as I'm concerned regarding this disease. I said on the little message I put out, I said, uh, whatever happened to don't touch your face? You remember that? That came out at the very beginning. That was the cardinal sin in the medical world. Do not touch your face. As one man said, don't touch your face and you'll never get the virus. What happened to that? Just fell off. What happened to when you go get your mail, you put on gloves and, and you know, and you put it down and you take your gloves off a certain way and then wash it. What happened to that? People walk their mail in like this and now they're scratching their face with their mail. And uh, what happened to that? We don't know where we are in this thing. It's everywhere. And so, don't be dogmatic where there ain't no dog. All right? Now you've almost heard all eight minutes of my message. Anyway, so anyway, uh, but the point is, here is here is somebody that says I'm 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 willing to empty myself, and he knows everything, all right. But he's chosen to empty himself <coughs> and humble himself. So here's what it says: Be, uh, But uh, made himself nothing, emptying himself, taking the very nature of a servant, 
being made unlike a human and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. He's humbling himself by becoming human. He's stepping into a human frame, yet he's fully God. And became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Obedient to death? Yes. His father sent him for the purpose of dying for the world. And he obeys. It's an infinite death. It's an infinite humility. And it starts out by saying, can you kind of put some of your rights aside? Can you have some compassion and tender mercies? Can you, can you, can you have some unity without fighting Yodi and Sintiki or people that are taking sides? Can we, can we do this? We can do this. But it won't be us doing it. You see, it all starts out since you have encouragement from being in Christ. And they had to have gone back to that and just soaked themselves in that particular thought. So, as we see this, we go all the way on down and we find that this is an incredible example of him emptying himself. Now, how does this work out in home, in the church, um, in business, uh, every, everywhere? How, how does this play itself out? Well, here again, rather than just reading through this like, it's a, like it is a devotional, every single situation that you believe is going to be contentious, and I've had people send me emails saying, you know, my neighbors are offended if we have too many people out front for Thanksgiving, and, and I want to have people over here, and all these different things. Everything is going to go back to humble dialogue. Uh, humility does amazing things. It's amazing, and all of us struggle with pride the minute we get out of bed. All of us struggle. We all think we're right about so many things, but humility allows God to breathe truth into our lives. It really does. And I'll tell you where I get that from. There are so many passages dealing with the subject matter of humility and grace. All right? God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. When I said earlier, you know, God often tells us to do things we just can't do. And then he starts out by saying, oh, let this mind be in you. You need to recognize who you are in Christ. This makes all the difference in the world. And then you go through Paul's life, and you start seeing Paul building upon this, and you see it over and over again in so many different, different places. For example, in Titus chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts we should live in a righteous life. Wait a minute. The grace of God is an instructor? That's what it says. How do I get that grace? I humble myself. I get the grace. The grace becomes my instructor. It becomes my divine teacher. That's what it says. Or how about laboring to try to do something? I, I remember uh, Dallas Willard, who died a few years ago, said, grace is not opposed to laboring, it's opposed to earning. Trying to earn your way. But you're still going to labor. And then I thought, I wonder where he got that from. I'm sure he probably got it from 1 Corinthians 15. I, I think it's verse 10, where the apostle Paul says, I labored more than all of them. I was laboring. Yet not I, but it was the grace of God that did the laboring. His callings 
are his enablings. Paul tells us in Thessalonians. If he calls you to something, he has the ability to enable you to carry out that calling. And he does that with every single one of us. And as we go into a situation humbly, and if both sides are humble, I suspect that both sides are going to find out they were both wrong in some areas and both right in some areas. And then come together and find out what the truth is. But we don't do that very often, do we? And this is why he goes to just painstaking, you know, consider others more highly than you consider yourself. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. But have this mind of Christ. Let this dwell in you. It's identity with Jesus. It's not doing, it's emptying. So I say this because this isn't just the virus or just church or just our nation, whatever. There are a myriad of things that come into our families, into our marriages, sibling rivalry, parent-child relationships, school, all these kind of things. And God is saying to the church, He says to the church, now those outside the church, as I'm speaking to maybe some of you, this will not be possible with you because you'll try to grind this out in your own strength and you will not be able to do it and you will get frustrated. Those that are in the body of Christ, the things that God has called us to, He will enable us to do. When He calls us to do this, if there's a collective unity, if there's a collective humility, then there's going to be a collective unity. And when that happens, the church will be a blinding light to a world that is living in mass confusion. And that's what draws people to the church. Let your light so shine among men that they might see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. We are the light of the world. We're the salt of the world. But when the church is struggling, then it doesn't show anything different to the world. So complicated issues we're all facing. We don't know where all this is going to go. Uh, there, there are just many, many, so many factors involved. But just Try to get out of bed every day as you face whatever it is you're facing, knowing that there may be hard discussions, difficulties. You know, some people want us to fly in, but they're concerned about the virus, and we're not. And now it's going to humble yourself, defer, listen, grow together, and it brings incredible healing. And this is the beauty of the gospel. And so as I look into the camera, what we mean by all of this is when it talks about, do you understand who you are in Christ? Do you understand all the treasures you have? It means that we have heaven. It means we have eternal life, which starts now. It means we, are, we have access to the wisdom of God. It means we have access to the humility of Christ. It means we have access to the illuminating power of the Spirit. It means we have access to His Word that guides us through this earthly pilgrimage. That's what it means. And if this touches your heart right now, this kind of gets to you because you're thinking, I don't have that. I'm really struggling and I don't quite know where that's all coming from. It's this. Paul's desire was to see that the gospel, the good news, what gospel means, would go out from the church to the world. And the good news is that the world is living in a dark cave with no flashlight anywhere. And God has provided a kingdom it's the kingdom of God's dear son or the kingdom of light. And he wants people to leave the kingdom of darkness by believing that his son died and paid the penalty for their sin. 
when they believe that, when they humble themselves and accept that they're sinners and they trust Christ, they are taken out of that kingdom of darkness and they are put into the kingdom of light. Our problem is, though we're in the kingdom of light, we often dive back into the kingdom and try to do the kingdom, the old kingdom way of doing things and then division comes and more and more problems. But if we really re uh, reconcile within our own hearts and minds who we are in Christ, it changes everything. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you. I would so desperately encourage you. Keep in mind, the next president, the president after that, and the next mayor, and the next congressman, the next governor, not going to change. Everything is just going to continue to be the same as it's always been. We've been on a hamster treadmill for 5,000 years of recorded human history. All right? The only thing that changes anything is the power of the gospel because it changes the heart. It gives you new life, a new heart. It takes out the heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh. So I plead with you today, if you've never called upon Christ to save your soul, today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these dear people. I thank you for the people that are watching online that may not know you or anybody here that may not know you, that today would be the day that they would admit, I am a sinner. I can't possibly reconcile myself with a perfect holy God by trying to be good or going to church more but I must rely totally on what you have done for me. That you died in my place, took my penalty, and offered me eternal life, which I receive today by faith. And for all of us that have had struggles with this virus and all these different areas and confusion and misunderstandings and hurt feelings, Lord, may all of us just surrender to the infinite humility that you demonstrated by humbling yourself even unto death, the death of the cross. So Father, now I pray that you dismiss us with your grace, give us a, a week and give us a, Lord willing, a new year in which this virus will dissipate and Lord, we'll be able to get back to church in full measure and lives would be changed around the world and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen.